What's up, Bree? Praise your family. We are back with another Bible study lesson for you. And this message is being delivered by Jory and Wilson. And we truly hope and pray that after hearing this message, that it truly resonates with you and empowers you. Word from the Lord. Um, but before we get started, let's open up with a word of prayer. God, we ask that you would meet with us here. Here we are. Yahweh Elohim, God, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, our souls, our spirit to whatever it is that you want to do in and through us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, family, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture coming from Daniel chapter three. And before I get too far into the, the message, I want to make sure that I give you all a precursor so you know how we got to Daniel chapter three and give you a little bit of background on the story today. So Looking at Daniel chapter three, uh, we learned that we are introduced to King Nebuchadnezzar and four Hebrew boys named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The text tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem where these four boys lived and besieged it. It says that in fact, that the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. In addition to the spoils of war, we learned that King Nebuchadnezzar asked his chief of staff to bring to his palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and others select only, he said, only to select the strong, healthy, good-looking young men. So, you know, I would have likely been chosen by this chief of staff. Uh, he goes on to say, make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and have good judgment, and they are suited to serve in the royal palace. He says, train up these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar has come to Jerusalem, besieged it, taken over, taken some of the things out of God's temple and taken some of the young men of Judah. The text tells us that the four Hebrew boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were four young men that were chosen, right? All from the same tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. So I'm sure you all have recognized these names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We further learned that all of the young men were given a daily ration of food and wine from the king's kitchen. But the text tells us that Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Uh, he would, didn't want to defile himself because in the Old Testament, God has given his people certain instructions about what they could and could not eat. So for him to partake of the food that the king was presenting, he would have defiled himself. So we see that they are honoring God despite their new location, right? So he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And then he asked that they be tested for 10 days, right? Because uh, if they don't eat, they're going to be scrawny. And so the chief of staff says, if you get scrawny, the king's going to want to kill me. So Daniel says, test us for 10 days on a diet of just fruits and vegetables and water and see where we are in comparison to those who are eating the king's food. And you know the story and how it goes. And at the end of these 10 days, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are much healthier, much stronger uh, than those who are eating the king's food. 
we conclude chapter one by, uh, by uh, chapter one concludes by stating, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all of the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered to the royal service. Whenever the king consulted with any of, uh, had a consulted with any matter requiring wisdom uh, or balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the musicians uh, and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. So to recap chapter one, we learn here that these four Hebrew boys found themselves in a foreign land. They had their names changed. While they were there, they were determined not to defile themselves, but to continue to honor God. And lastly, they found favor with both God and King Nebuchadnezzar. So as we move forward into chapter two for today, we see that in Daniel chapter two, uh, the wise men of Babylon are facing a great challenge. They can't seem to figure it out because King Nebuchadnezzar has had a disturbing dream and has called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he has demanded that they tell him what his dream was and they interpret it. The wise men begged the king to tell them the, tell them the dream in order for them to interpret it, but the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what the dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your house will be turned into heaps of rubble. As you might imagine, they are unable to give the king the answer and he orders that all the wise men be executed. This inevitably includes our four characters of interest for today. And so it tells us that as the king's men approach Daniel and his friends they to, to kill them, it says that Daniel handled the situation with wisdom. It says that Daniel went at once to the king and requested more time. He told the king, uh, he said, give me more time and I will tell you what your dream means. So then Daniel goes back home to his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he urges them to ask God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling him the secret of the dream that they may not be killed with the other men of Babylon. We learn that at the end of chapter two, God grants them their request. They are, God shows them the dream and Daniel goes to the king and it says, after he interprets the dream for the king, the king responds by, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of all gods, the Lord over kings and revealer of all mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all the wise men. And at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So at the end of chapter two, we see that these young men have been faced with a challenge, right? They face this challenge. God grants them favor and mercy. They're able to interpret the king's dream. And once again, 
they are promoted. This leads us up to our text for today. Today we'll be focusing on Daniel chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 18 to start us off. So I'm hoping that you are with me with this story. That was a lot of background, but it's important to understand that background for today's text. And so in Daniel chapter 3, it reads as, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to high officers, his officials, his governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, to everybody in the providence, letting them know that at the sound of the instruments that will be playing, all people of all races and all nations and languages will have to listen to this command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, you must bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed him on the Jews. They said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all people bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jewish, some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom have you, you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, but they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage in order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want, you to, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes from the topic of it's above me now. You may recall in 2019, there was a, a young African-American young man who was working at a hotel. And during his shift one day, he has a phone call uh, with an older white woman. And in the course of their conversation, the white woman calls this young man a uh, nigger. Um, as you might imagine, this didn't go over very well with this young man. And upon the woman's arrival to the hotel, she gets upset because the young man refuses to help her any further. 
The woman's disappointment turns into hysteria as she breaks down in tears and tries to explain and justify herself by saying that she's had a death in the family, to which the young man simply responds, it's above me now. With each rebuttal the woman provided, the young man simply responds, it's above me now. And in the course of my research, you know, like most of us, as we get on those, uh, those rabbit holes of videos, uh, I continue to observe deeper and do further research. And the original video led me to another suggested video. And in this video, the same young man explained what happened on that night. He explains how despite his patience and politeness, the woman continued to verbally express her frustrations. Following her verbal assault, this young man called his manager and was informed that the woman's behavior would not be tolerated. Because he had the support of his superior, the young man rested in the fact that it was above him now. This message I've come to share with you today is simple. When we are obedient to God, when we place our faith and trust in him, when we have done our part, we can throw up our hands and say, it's above me now. It's above me now. In today's text, we find three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a rather peculiar situation. King Nebuchadnezzar is threatening to throw these three young men into a fiery furnace because they refuse to bow down to his golden statue. Those of you who are familiar with the Bible and even those who may not be are aware of the instructions God has given his people in the Old Testament called the Ten Commandments. And the first of those commandments states that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are simply following the fundamental instructions from the Ten Commandments. However, because they are in this foreign land, their core beliefs are being challenged and are under fire. Likewise, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we too, as Christians, find ourselves in a foreign land. While we are here on earth, our core beliefs as Christians will continually be under fire. If you don't believe me, just look on the internet, look on social media, look at the news, what's being pushed, what motives and agendas are being advertised. Our beliefs are always going to be under fire as Christians, which leads me to point number one, if you are taking notes. The first point is something is always competing to be the Lord of your life. When we look at the word Lord, Lord is a title that reflects a position. Lord defined, Lord is defined as someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. When we call Jesus Lord, Lord isn't his name, but we are indicating his role in our lives. There is always something vying for the position of Lord in your lives, whether it be school, whether it be work, a relationship, a habit, whatever you want to name, there's someone always, something always vying for first place in our lives. However, we must be mindful of this, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and keep God as our Lord. As we continue to step through chapter three, the text tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego choose to honor their core beliefs, and some astrologers decide they need to snitch. Well, we see as they snitch, it says that 
the astrologers come to King Nebuchadnezzar and say that these Jews don't even listen to you, King. And you said that if they don't listen and bow down, they're supposed to be thrown into the blazing furnace. And so after I had reread these verses, I wanted my point number two to be someone to remind us that someone or something is always trying to pull us down. But rather than that, the Holy Spirit reminded me that someone is always watching. So point number two is someone is always watching. When you profess to be a Christian, people are always watching and waiting to see how you respond to different situations. They're listening intently to the words that you use. They watch what you do and how you do it. I imagine that the astrologers knew of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right there, leading the providence of Babylon. And so they're constantly watching, waiting for them to make a mistake, seeing how they're going to respond, either to challenge their faith or eager to accuse them like they have done now, eager to take their place. But I'm encouraged by the words of Joseph, their forefather, who says that what they have meant for evil, God used for good. So here we have our three boys honoring God. They've been snitched on, and now they have to face King Nebuchadnezzar. Hear what the king has to say. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instrument. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. So this, this isn't even in my notes, but as I was reading this, I thought about this. We see in here, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't worship me, you'll be thrown into the furnace, but I'm going to give you another chance. To me, it seems like King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to act like God, knowing that God is gracious, knowing that God is merciful to us. King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to act like he can give mercy and grace to these young men. Uh, that's a powerful thing because things that want to be Lord of our lives are always trying to satisfy what only God can satisfy. When we have a title or a job position that tries to make us feel satisfied, make us feel sustained, make us feel important when our importance and our value comes from God. When we try to seek pleasure from drugs or from sex or from things that are outside of what they should be used within, we are trying to seek a pleasure that only can, can come from God, a fulfillment that only can come from God. Which leads me to our, this third point. When we put our faith in God, it will be tested. Just because we commit to being a follower of Christ doesn't resolve us from any troubles within this life, family. We have to know that as we commit to Christ, the day we sign up for this petition for this ballot, for this role, we are asking, we are preparing ourselves for the combat of spiritual warfare. Point three, when we put our faith in God, it will be tested. Pastor Sean Pierce loves to say this often. He says that a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Uh, and I want to break this down on an elementary level for each of us and let us know that 
every day, our faith is tested. When you woke up this morning, you hit the light switch so you could see. You likely don't know how it works, but you had faith that if you hit that switch, the light will come on. When you logged in the replay share this morning, today, you had faith that your Wi-Fi or your cellular net network would have service and would work. But you don't know how the signal gets from the tower to your device, and you likely don't care. But you had faith that it would. But what do we do when our faith in God is tested? Do we hold firm to what he said? Do we remind ourselves of his promises? Or do we allow ourselves to become distracted? Uh, do we allow our flesh and our worldly views to take precedence over what God has said? What do you do when the doctor has told you that your child wasn't breathing for the first 20 minutes of life at birth and likely won't make it? What do you do when God has led you to move across the country for the purpose, for his purposes, knowing that you may have to leave your good job and all around you, your family is doubting and questioning your decision? If you are like Shay and Ham, you hold firm to what God has said. And you hear what the doctors have to say, but you don't receive it. That's a powerful point right there. You can hear the diagnosis. You can hear what people have to say, but you don't have to receive it within yourself. No matter what people say, no matter what people do, we hold firm to what God has said. And if you are like me, when God has called you to move across the country, possibly leaving your job, being doubted by family, being called crazy, what do you do? If you're like us, you continue in what God has led you to do despite the doubt and fear, ignoring the reservations of those closest to you. But these are major decisions, right? These are major things. A child being said that it won't make it or uh, having to move across the country to follow what God has told you to do. But what about when it's not as big as these life-altering things? What about when God wants you to do something like letting certain friends go? refraining from sex before marriage, stopping substance abuse, when he wants you to stop being rude, when God has called you to stop cursing, what do you do when it's something that seems minor? I mean, everybody has sex, everybody uh, drinks, everybody smokes weed, everybody curses sometimes. What do you do when God has called you to hire? If you're like Pastor Sean or our brother James, you obey. You trust that God's way is the best way, and then you watch him do more than you ever expected. You watch him bring into your life exactly what you need when you are ready for it. And not to say that these examples that we have perfected faith, right? We struggle just like anybody else, but these are real life examples of things that your leadership team, people that you know and see on a weekly basis have had to walk through in faith. When you are obedient to God, you place your faith and trust in him. When you have done your part, you can throw up your hands and say, it's above me now. But, but Minister Wilson, how do we actually do this? That sounds all good in theory, but what does this look like in my daily life? When I leave this call today, how do I walk this out? Well, firstly, my good friends, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 and 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Hebrews 11 also goes on to say that, for it was by faith that all the heroes of faith 
were obedient to God. The people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those people were able to overcome their situation in opposition because of their faith. So first, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we obey what God has instructed us to do. There's a hundred of scriptures I could list about the importance of obedience, right? But our obedience to God comes down to one thing. Do we trust him? We know that Proverbs 3 and 5 tells us that we must trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not into our own understanding and all of our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. We know that we have to trust God because like the scripture says, his ways are not our ways as high as the heavens are above the earth. So his ways are above ours. So secondly, we must trust and obey what God has instructed us to do. Thirdly, we surrender our situation to God. First Peter 5 and 7 tells us that we must cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for you. And oftentimes when I've read this, I read, cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. I think about us giving something to God, you know, like, here, God, here's this situation. Here's what I'm dealing with. I'm giving it over to you. But the word cast isn't uh, like that. To cast something means you have to throw it forcefully. So when we give something to God, it's not us giving it to God like, all right, God, this is what I'm struggling with. Here you go. Can you work on this? It's like, all right, God, I don't know what to do. It's in your hands now. I'm dealing with these folks. They're getting on my nerves. Here you go. Deal with this, God. You know I'm struggling with this over here. And if you don't help me, I'm going to go over to this girl's house and I'm going to wild out and do what I want to do. So, Lord, you need to come through right now and help me out. God, I'm going to go get drunk, smoke me some weed. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing if you don't come through right now. That is how we cast our cares on Jesus. We give him, we're honest with him, how we are feeling, how we are struggling. And then it says he cares for us. And then the last part of three, uh, this third part there, I'm saying surrender our situation to God. I think about Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, which says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So we surrender our lives. We surrender our battles. We surrender our struggles to God through prayer, laying them at his feet. And the Bible tells us that we will experience peace, which surpasses anything we can understand. As we are going through hard times in life, people will wonder, why do you have peace? Because I know that God has given me these promises. I have laid it at his feet. I have cast my cares on him. As my family and I were getting ready to move across the country to help plant a church with one of our friends, uh, I had peace throughout the entire process. Most of the time, I didn't have a job yet. We didn't have a place to stay, but I had laid it at God's feet, knowing that I was being obedient and that he would work it out. I often think about, I often think about an old hymn that uh, the old folks would see when I was growing up. And it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless, needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So the third thing is we live our burdens, our situations, and we surrender them to God. Last and fourthly, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. When we encourage ourselves through the Lord by recalling the promises that he has given to us 
and what he has spoken over us, what he has given us as visions, we remember and we recall those things. If we are to be obedient in the face of trouble, in the face of distraction, we must be mindful that we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And I get this from, 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 da from David. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says that, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved for their sons and for their daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. When we are distressed, when we are under great weight, we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. That's why we have to have this arsenal to fight with. We have to give it to God and then lift ourselves up by God's promises. Some of the ones that I like to use, if you don't mind indulging me for a moment, are Psalms 23, right? Uh, Psalms 23 is a great encouraging word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to the pastures of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anoints my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I'm worried about the plans for my life, when I don't know what God has taken me to, uh, when I don't know what is next for my family, when I don't know what is going to happen with my job, I remind myself of Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Uh, when I don't know what going to happen when things look bleak or the situation is bad. I remind myself of Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things are caused to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. If I'm ever afraid, I like to turn to Psalms 91. And it says that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowl and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler and thy shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth in noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of his ways. And I imagine as Shadrach and Meshach are facing the king, preparing to be thrown into the furnace, we know that they've already put their faith in Jesus. They've been obedient to what they've been instructed to do. They've surrendered it to God. And I bet they were encouraging themselves as they were being bound up, as their turbans and clothes were all being wrapped around them, as they're getting ready to be thrown into this furnace. And the text tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated 
seven times hotter than usual. Just a side note, um, I don't know how he heated it. It's not like he had a knob like on the stove, but I don't know. That was just a side note. Sorry, I got distracted. But he heated the furnace seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king and his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the furnace flames, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, Nebuchadnezzar says, look, he shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothes was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree if any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the providence of Babylon. Our God is powerful. He likes to make a way out of no way. He likes to make impossible nothing. From the conclusion of this story, I want to highlight my final two points for you tonight if you're taking notes. Point number four is faithfulness is rewarded here on earth and in heaven. We see this passage that God miraculously rescues Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sparing their lives from the fire. We also see that King Nebuchadnezzar promotes them to an even higher position in the kingdom. But more importantly, what we don't see in the specific text, but what we know is that the reward that they receive in heaven far surpasses anything that they could have received here on earth. Lastly, these scriptures lead us to point number five. And point five is that our faithfulness is not only for us, but it is for others that they may experience relationship with God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of many examples, right? We talked about Shea and Ham and how 
they had this diagnosis from the doctor that their daughter wouldn't make it, but they kept the faith. And when uh, Noriah was cleared of all uh, concerns, cleared of all issues, no abnormalities, they took her back up there to show the doctors what God did. And they said that the doctor said that their faith was increased, that they had never seen something of this nature, but God did it and they believed. When my family and I started our transition to across the country, God opened the door for me to stay with the same company that I was with. And not only did he do that, but he paid for all of our moving expenses. We didn't have to pay for a single thing. God took care of all of that. And people at work who knew my story, who knew what we were doing, said that their faith was increased because of what we walked through in obedience, despite the opposition, despite how bleak it may have looked. We talked about James and Sean and how they turned and changed their style of living. And we see that God blessed Sean with a wife. We see that James is now engaged because I believe that as we are walking in obedience, God knows that he can trust us. He, he gives us things that we are prepared for when we are prepared for them. But furthermore, I'm reminded of our heroes in the Bible, people that you know also well. I'm reminded of Abraham. I'm reminded of Jacob, also known as Israel. I'm reminded of Joseph, of Moses, of David, of Elijah, Peter. And one of my favorites, I'm reminded of Paul. But the ultimate example comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, as Jesus is on his way to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, it tells us that he told his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And I imagine as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's concluding his third prayer, saying, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away Unless I drink it, may your will be done. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The Bible tells us that Jesus prayed the same prayer three times over. And I imagine as he concludes this prayer, he stands up. And he sees his disciples are still sleeping and his accusers are on the way approaching. He doesn't say this, but his actions display that in his mind, in his spirit, that it's above me now. We know that the Bible tells us that Jesus was faithful unto death, not for his own sake, but for the sake of each of us, that we may have an opportunity for relationship with God. In the story that we looked at today, King Nebuchadnezzar said that God sent his angel to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Likewise, God sent his son to rescue us, my brothers and sisters, not that we deserve it, but because he is a good father. And when we put our trust, our faith in him, he gives us an opportunity for relationship with God. And as I close, I want to remind you that when we put our faith in God and choose to be obedient to his instructions, we will be tested, but we can place our trust in Jesus and surrender our situation to him and encourage ourselves in the Lord. Once we do this, the only thing that's left for us to do is throw our hands up and say, it's above me now. We know that our faithfulness will be rewarded here on earth and in heaven. And we know that because we are faithful, 
we will impact others that they may experience relationship with God through the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And as we close out, I want to take a few moments for us to sit in this and think, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you in this moment? What in your life do you need to surrender, to cast on Jesus and say it's above me now? I want to sit in this moment and let God speak to us before we close. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this fellowship. God, we thank you for your word, that your word is so good. Lord, we pray that you would help us to cast our concerns, cast our battles, cast our cares onto you, for you care for us, God. Help us to make sure that our faith, our trust is in you, Lord. Help us to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense, even when we can't see or understand. Lord, help us to be obedient, Father. Help us to encourage ourselves. Help us to leave it all in your hands, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we close out, family, we want to give you three invitations today. The first invitation is we want to, if you don't know or you're not in relationship with God, we want to give you a chance to respond. And all we want you to do is put a one in the chat. If you're like, if you heard this message and like, I need to give so much to God, but I need to, I haven't even given myself to God. And that's who you are. We ask that you just put a one in the chat. And all we want to do is pray for you, welcome you into the family, then help you on this journey as you get started. The second is if you've gone your own way, you know who God is. But instead of saying it's above me now, you've taken it all on and you've taken your own path to figure out how you are going to receive satisfaction, how you are going to be justified, how you can uh, have the most pleasure in life. You're seeking satisfaction outside of Christ, but you want to return to the only one who can truly satisfy. We ask that you will put a two in the chat and we want to pray for you and welcome you and make sure that you are prepared and equipped and surrounded as you begin this journey again. And the last is if you want prayer, I want to be sure that you know we pray for you today. If you want prayer, if there's something, you don't have to tell us what it is, but if there's something that you need to say, it's above me now and give it over to God. We ask that you will put a three in the chat so that we could pray for you as we close out today. I'll give you all an opportunity to respond. If you want to accept Christ for the first time, it's a one. If you want to come back into relationship with God, it's a two. And if you want prayer, that God would help you to let go, to cast something onto him, we ask that you would put a three and we're going to pray for you right now. So I'll give you all a moment to respond and then we'll come back and close out today. There's no...
All right. Thank you very much, Ranjane, for your response. Let's pray for our sister. If you'll join me in praying as we pray as well. God, we thank you for Ranjane. We thank you for, first and foremost, for her life. We thank you for her honesty, for her transparency, God, and that she has come to the conclusion that there's something in her life that, Lord, she needs to give it over to you. She needs to cast it onto you. Stop holding on to it. Come to grips, pray, be obedient, put her faith and trust in you, and then say that it's above her now, Father. Lord, we pray that you would give her the strength to do so, God, and that you would comfort her as it's not an easy thing to let go of what we've been holding on to. God, we pray that you would come through for her, God, as we know you will, Lord. Help her to be encouraged. Help her to be mindful of your promises, and God, that you are for her and that you're never against her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, family, thank you all for allowing me to share today. And I know that some people may have to hop off, so I want to speak a blessing over you all, and then we'll open up the floor for, for general discussion. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be merciful and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now I'm going to turn it back over to James. James will open up the floor for general discussion. May God bless you all. James had to hop off Jorian, but I got you. This was so powerful, Jorian. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to start. It was good from like your first word to the last. And I'm just so grateful for God speaking through you to share this message today. And I just pray that he fills you back up and overflow. And I know that this blessed 